Good morning, everyone. Big welcome to uh, joining us this morning to worship the Lord. Uh, it's good to have you here. And uh, a special welcome to James and Rachel and Jacob. Uh, thank you, James, for coming to preach this morning for us. We're looking forward to that later on in the service. Um, just uh, would like to remind the men here, if you're between 18 and 118, this includes all of you, not just young men, but the whole range, um, is the men's event coming up on uh, week Tuesday, all being well. Uh, so I really encourage you to be there. I think it'll be a great evening of encouragement, a uh, good, uh, good time to be together. So do sign up uh, for that to James Russell. Um, you can bring the payment on the evening, but just be good to have an idea of who's, who's coming. Uh, so if you're available, really encourage you to make the effort to, to join us for that evening. Um, that would be great. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's turn our focus as for the reason we're here, to worship God and to give him praise this morning and sing our first hymn together, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Let's stand to sing.
James has chosen three Bible readings for us this morning. And the first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 1, verse 1 and 2. That's how he starts his letter to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Then we're turning to the book of Acts, chapter 16, and the first five verses. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And then our third reading is in 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. End of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. And we're going to read verse 1 to 10. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others... And I warn them now, while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Well, let's sing our second hymn, and after that, uh, there'll be no children's talk, but James is going to um, give us a brief update on Cyprus, so children, tune into that. Uh, but let's sing, um, Revive Thy Work, O Lord. We need, we need God to do that, don't we? We need God to revive his work in us, give us spiritual life, and we need his work to do that in our church and in the town around us. And only he can 
give the power. Only he can work in people's hearts. So let's pray this prayer. Revive thy work, O Lord. Thy mighty arm make bare. Speak with the voice that wakes the dead and make thy people hear. It's always a privilege to give uh, an update, so thank you for extending that opportunity. But thank you more for uh, your ongoing support, your praying for us, your taking care of us, and, and your looking after us. And uh, this last, uh, I think it's two months now, we've been in the UK, or nearly, or will be by the time we, we leave on Friday, God willing. We, we really have had a, a time of, of rest, a time of relaxation, a time of uh, refreshing. And it's that sort of sense that we need to go back to uh, Cyprus with. We need to go back being refreshed because we want to see the Lord's work uh, revived in Cyprus. Uh, We can't do that. It doesn't matter how uh, good we think we are or how good we actually may or may not be. It's got nothing to do with us. It's got everything to do with the Holy Spirit's uh, work and the Holy Spirit working. And so if there's one thing that you just really should be praying for is that the Holy Spirit works. I think sometimes we we talk about the Swansons in Cyprus. We are the means. 
it's the Holy Spirit using the Swansons in Cyprus. The Swansons in Cyprus is a little bit of an oxymoron here. And I was thinking of this. We've been asked to put together a little card uh, to update the old one. Uh, my children are quite distressed by the old one, seeing their old picture in churches and places. Uh, this, God willing, is going to be the new one. that has been approved by most members of the family. And then as I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking, I could get myself in trouble here. The Swansons in Cyprus, and only two of us are going back. And so perhaps we should have open brackets, nearly all the Swans, or whatever, I don't know. But that is a big thing to be praying for. Praying for the Holy Spirit will take us back and be with us when we're there, but also the fact that we are going back very depleted. Uh, some people are calling it the empty nester syndrome, which we're going to have shortly. Rachel's already talking about another puppy. Maybe even fostering. Who knows what's going to happen in the days ahead. But we would value your prayers very much for that. Uh, Noah is, is settled. Leah is settled. And Jacob is a nomad. At this precise moment in time, when we leave, he will have no mum and dad, he will have no home, he will have no job, he will have a lot of purpose, but he's not yet to find that. So, uh, without embarrassing the boy too much, and I'm not looking up the balcony, uh, please do pray for him in that, but pray for us in that. Uh, I, I think it's almost a greater deal for Rachel and I than it is for him and his adventure. We will tell you that later. We'll work out whether that is the case or not. But we, we are going to feel it. And just as you prayed for us when we first went to Cyprus, and, and you put so much prayer and effort in the children, praying that they would be settled, praying that they would get on well at school, praying that they wouldn't miss England, etc., etc., and how we come back in years, and, and we give testimony for how the Lord did that. It's the same God. It's a different prayer but we look to him. So please pray for us, especially uh, in that area. And then, for, for those of you that are uh, in a working environment, or anyone who goes away on holiday, when you come back, you have this sort of tsunami or tidal wave of, of stuff upon you. Uh, for the housewife, it's that two weeks of washing to catch up on, and it's, where do you start? And the businessman, it's the emails that are going on forever and ever and ever, and there's just so much more, and you think to yourself, was it worth going on holiday? And then you remind yourself, actually, it was, and it was good. But we're going back to what potentially will be a very intense situation with lots and lots to do, more to do than we have time to do, and so we just really would like you to pray with us that the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, would guide us to know what to do, how to do, and when to do it, and to have the, the strength to do it to his uh, glory. So thank you for your prayers. And, and as the slide says, please strive together with us in your prayers so that we may see God's name glorified in Cyprus, so that we may see lost sinners brought to know the Lord as the Saviour, and to see God's children strengthened and built up so that they may be a witness to him. Thank you. Thank you, James. I was just thinking there, when you were saying about family, Peter said to Jesus, we've, we've given up home and parents and family. And Jesus made it very clear that those who give up 
for him will be well, well repaid. And uh, uh, that's a great blessing, isn't it? Okay, well, let's pray together. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to pray this morning to the living God. We are dependent on you for life, for strength, for health, for mental capacity and everything to live. And you are dependent on us for nothing. You are the self-existent, eternal Lord God, the creator and sustainer of this universe. No one comes even close to power and strength and knowledge. And Lord, we bow before you as sinners in great need of your mercy. And Lord, we thank you that through the Lord Jesus Christ we can be here this morning to pray. We have your word in our hands. We have somebody to preach to us, to open up your word to us, that we might learn, that we might be changed. Lord, you have you've given us all that we need. We thank you. Uh, that not only have you provided for all of our physical and natural blessings and needs, but you've provided eternal life for all who put their trust in Christ. Everything has, has been made ready. Everything has been done to make peace between us and God. And as we have gone astray like sheep, as we have turned everyone to his own way, the Lord has laid our iniquity on Christ. And thank you, Lord, if we can say that this morning, by your wonderful grace, that we are forgiven and made children of God. Lord, we praise you. We have every reason, if we're a Christian this morning, to worship you. However tired we may feel, however lethargic we may feel, however cold our hearts may feel. Lord, may your Holy Spirit come this morning to to give us life, to restore us, to bring us back to you, to revive us, so that we may live for your glory. Lord, we are greatly in debt to you for your love and kindness to us. So this morning we give you thanks as we think of this harvest time and it reminds us of your faithfulness to us living in your world. We thank you for the way that you sustain life on this planet for us. We thank you for the way that you have made us, that we we tend to uh, get better from the things that we are unwell from so often. You give so many of us a good amount of health and strength. Many of us have a good night's sleep. All of us have food and clean water. Lord, we are blessed every day. We thank you for your care over us. Lord, we confess that the relationship between us and you is so unbalanced. You lavish upon us your love and your mercy. In return, we give you so little. Lord, please change us. Uh, And if we feel far and distant from you, bring us back to the cross and to have a greater and deeper understanding of the cost to your Son to give us life. Lord God, we pray this morning for James and Rachel and their family. We thank you for them. We look back over the years that you have led them and helped them and provided for them. We thank you for that. They are proof of your faithfulness and have answered prayer. We thank you for that. Lord, we're so pleased that they've had a good rest 
and uh, we missed seeing them last year, but we're thankful. We pray that this break they've had will really help them. Help them as they, James and Rachel, go back on Friday. Lord, help them to um, <clears throat> catch up and to settle in. We pray that they will especially know your presence with them. And especially now as uh, all the children are over here, we, we commit each one of them to you. Thank you for them. Thank you that they are walking with the Lord. And uh, what a great blessing that is. We ask that you'd, you'd protect them, you'd watch over them. We especially pray this morning for Jacob at uh, this uh, point where he doesn't know uh, what's ahead. Uh, no plans in place. Uh, but Lord, we thank you that your plans unfold in our lives every day. Give him a quiet trust and peace and to James and Rachel as well thanking that all of our children are in your hands and uh, whatever distance comes between us uh, there is no distance between each of us and you Lord do provide we pray Uh, in this coming week perhaps that things would be made much clearer Um, Lord you are the God who nothing is too hard for We pray for the work in Cyprus and we thank you that um, the gospel is mighty and powerful across this world. We pray for that church there in such a tiny part of the world and we ask, Lord God, for you to do great things there. We pray that the light of the gospel will will be shining brightly and that as the gospel is preached week by week in Turkish, in English... Um, that people from all nationalities who are part of that church will be, uh, will be fed from your word, will be challenged by it, will, will grow by it, will become something which strengthens them. Lord, would you move in a great way. Lord, we pray for those who, for whom following you is at great cost uh, with their um, Islamic backgrounds and relatives. Lord, we pray you'll give them great boldness and confidence in you. And we pray that the church there will be a great source of strength and encouragement to them. We pray for those who wander uh, far off and have uh, called off from the heat of the community and fellowship of God's people. Lord, we ask that you bring them back and that they will see that for their own spiritual good uh, is to meet with God's people. Oh Lord, that's the same here. We pray for those who are not regular with us here and uh, are therefore starving themselves of your truth and of the benefit of community and fellowship with God's people. Lord, we, we need each other in this battle. We, are, we can't live our Christian lives alone successfully and effectively. We need to be here to encourage each other. We need to be here to pray together. We need to be here to gently correct and love each other that we might not need to face the battle alone, but to be built up together and as your people be a light to the world around us. Lord, as we live the week in many ungodly and worldly situations that could lead us astray and uh, be a hindrance to us in our Christian lives, we need today, we need your word uh, planted deep in our hearts again and again and again. Lord, I pray that we will see the need we have of your word and your spirit and of each other. So, Lord, would you bless this community. Bless those who are struggling, those who are unwell, 
those who are isolating, <clears throat> those who feel in the drudgery of life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to lean hard on God, to know that your love has no limit and your grace has no measure. No boundaries to anything that you have to offer for us. All that we need to live a godly life comes freely from a God who gives generously and doesn't ask for it back. Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to live our lives in the light of eternity that we may live this one short life to please and honour you. Lord, we commit to you this morning our government, those who lead us. We pray you'll give wisdom. We pray that the laws of God which are trampled underfoot, we ask for Christian politicians, for those who will lead us back to God and in his ways. We commit to you those who give their lives to care and serving in the NHS. We pray for those who give their lives to teaching and training. Lord, we enable them and in their witness to show the love of Christ. And all of us, Lord, help us to live for you, we pray. Help us this morning as we look into your word. We ask that you will speak to us and into each of our lives. As we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before James comes to preach, let us sing again. Above the voices of the world around me, my hopes and dreams, my cares and loves and fears, the long-awaited call of Christ has found me. The voice of Jesus echoes in my ears. Let's stand to sing.
one thing that I really appreciate about the post-COVID church, or the nearly post-COVID church, whatever you want to call it, is the copious amounts of fresh air. I, I was enjoying sat there at the front, feeling the fresh air, because I was thinking, this is going to make my job easier. When it's colder, you stay awake. And they got my mind thinking further. It doesn't matter how much cold air we have running through the place or how much energy or dynamism we have from the front. That does not change hearts and souls. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and be with us this morning. Almighty God, we thank you that we've been able to worship you, read your word, pray and sing. But Almighty God, we want to hear your voice now speaking to us through your word. And the only way this can happen is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, you've promised that if we ask you for the Holy Spirit, you will give him to us and he's the comforter that's been sent. And so we plead that you again will be faithful to your word. And not only would we know the promise, but each and every one here this morning would feel the promise for themselves and know a sense of you speaking to them. Speak through me, O Lord God. Use me as your servant, as your mouthpiece. May this time be about you and your glory. And may you help us now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're listening to my update, you will be aware that as a family, we're giving a lot of attention to job adverts and situations uh, vacant at the moment. Uh, and maybe, like me, you've been running through adverts and you think, yeah, I could do that. That looks really interesting. Uh, I don't know if we've got any professional queuers here, but there is a job to professionally queue for other people. The great ease of this job is you need no qualifications, no training, just your time. And, and you go and you queue for others and you're paid for it. But I thought that could be a bit boring. The job that started winking at me more was the water slide tester. And those of you that are older YPs, like my age YPs, you'll know how much that, that would appeal to me. You don't need any training. It helps if you can swim. But you can do it. And then I saw another one, a pet psychologist. I delighted in the idea of thinking of going around to people's houses and just chatting with their dog or their cat for a little while and getting paid for it. But then I read that you need to hold a PhD or be a doctor of veterinary science. And then the pinnacle of aspirations, a brain surgeon. Now, now apparently, neurosurgery is technically demanding, so the NHS website tells me. You need a special blend and skills of personal qualities which include a high degree of manual dexterity. No need for your imagination to work out why. Good hand-eye coordination, excellent visual and vision and uh, visual spatial awareness. A blend of confidence and caution. Good organizational skills. Excellent communicational skills. Stamina to cope with long hours and a demanding nature of the work. Emotional strength to be able to manage very sick patients and their loved ones. 
the ability to lead and manage a team, and, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And for most of us, we would be unqualified, unprepared, and uninitiated for that job. And I hope, and, and if there are any brain surgeons here, forgive me, we would never be, we would never be given that job because we're just not qualified for it. When uh, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he had one main aim, and that, that's where we are. We're going to be in that letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy. We're going through it as a church in Cyprus, and, and the reason we're going to be going through it as a church in Cyprus is we, we're looking particularly at what it's all about to be a church. And, and the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter to Timothy, he didn't tell us at the beginning what it was all about or why he was doing it, but in chapter 3 and verse 14, he tells the main aim of what he's, why he's writing this letter. And he says in chapter 3 and verse 14 of 1 Timothy, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So you can see that's why we're going to be going through it as a church. Uh, we want to know how to behave in a household of God. We want to know how a church should operate, how people should conduct themselves within church life. But Timothy effectively was Paul's pastoral assistant at the time when this letter was written. He was pastoring the church in Ephesus. And effectively his job description here, as Paul is laying it out to him, is You've got to teach the church how to behave. Teach, teach the church how to behave. And so I want you to imagine the advert. The situation's vacant in the Ichthus Times, that well-known newspaper for Christians 2,000 years ago, where they would be reading, and, and there's this situation vacant. And the situation is as good as the clicker, so you're going to have to be on your toes up there. So here we have it. Situation vacant. Pastoral assistant to the Apostle Paul. The successful candidate must be a mature disciple who is both robust in character and constitution. The role will involve much travel, hardship, and probable persecution. The ability to stand up against false teachers and teaching is essential. This is position is not for the timid or the fearful. You'll not be taking a salary, but you'll be working part-time to support yourself. I don't know if any of you guys would have applied for that. And obviously, this is just my imagination. That's not exactly how it happened, but bear with me, because I'm, I'm wanting us to, to think about this. None of us are going to be called to be the Apostle Paul's assistant because he is not here. And none of us are probably going to have a role like Timothy's. But there's a lot that we can learn from this situation in how we should be as a Christian, how we are a Christian, and how we serve as a Christian. So I want you to, to join me as we eavesdrop in on Timothy's interview. Timothy's applied for this position. 
And we're going to listen in on the interview board to, to find out how he gets the job. Because we all know he did get the job. But, but what was it about him? What was it that made him qualified for this position of service? And so as you probably astutely saw, one of the key things there, he must be a mature disciple. And so one of the first things that the interview board want to find out is, is he a disciple? I'm going to throw this away. And you, you, you're, you're, on, you're on call now, so... If that doesn't keep up with me, don't worry. Listen to what the Lord's saying to us from his word. So a disciple. So, so they, they want to find this out. And we know from the scriptures, we read from Acts chapter 16, that it tells us there that Timothy came from either Deborah or Lystra. And at Lystra, we believe it was, there was a disciple there named Timothy. Timothy was, was qualified to serve in this capacity because he was a disciple. We could say it's because he was a Christian, because he was someone trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour. He came to know the Lord, he had a testimony, if you like, and he came to know the Lord through the influence of his mother and his grandmother. And quite probably, we don't know for definite, but quite probably through the preaching of Paul at one of the earlier mission trips. Now his conversion was different to the Apostle Paul's. The Apostle Paul is writing this, and, and the Apostle Paul's conversion experience was dramatic, wasn't it? He was on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute the Christians. He was out to kill them. He hated Jesus and all that he stood for. And then he met with Jesus. And then just a little later on in that chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, Paul says it like this. He has several trustworthy sayings, but this is one of them. And he starts this. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. And deserving of all full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now these were well-known sayings that were used at that time to help the, the, the believers and the Christians follow the faith. But what carries on is what Paul adds to it. And he says, of whom I am the foremost, or whom I am the chief of sinners, as you may have heard it before. And for Timothy to be a true follower of Jesus, to be a disciple, he had to have a similar experience as the Apostle Paul's. Similar in this sense, he had to come to know that he was a sinner. To come to know that he had offended the living God. To come to know that in all his situation, he could not make himself right with God. And I think there's a sense with all people, as they come to know the Lord as their Savior, and they think of their own sins, we almost all add that, like the Apostle Paul did, of whom I am chief. And, and if you're not able to say that or think that or go down those rooms, there's, there's some element of pride in your life. Because when you really see sin for what it is, and you get a grip of what God is in the light of that, we all feel so wretched. And like the Apostle Paul, we come to that point of realizing that we need to be saved 
And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who can. As Paul says there in that verse 15, he said, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We need saving from sin. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin condemns us. Our sin will damn us for an eternity. But Jesus came to pay the price. He's paid it all. We just sang about that in that previous hymn, haven't we, of what Christ has done for us. Those of us that are believers, those of us that are disciples, we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sin and that mess that is ours has been taken from us and placed on Jesus. And after Jesus paid the full price of that sin, that sin has been taken away and is separated as far as the east is from the west. Or maybe from the... I'm not sure which but, but can never get to it again. It's been dealt with. And the only way that Timothy could be a servant, to, the only way that Timothy could serve in the church is if he was a true Christian. And the mark of a true Christian is to see your sin and ask God to save you from it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in many ways I can imagine as Timothy opened up and gave his testimony to the board around him, they were sat there and with their big flowing beads and long robes, I'd imagine, nodding their heads and, and, and grateful agreement of, of how he came to faith and, and thanking God for it. But the question we have to ask ourselves now is if you were in that interview situation, have you got a testimony? Do you know the Jesus that the Apostle Paul knows? Do you know the Jesus that Timothy knew? Do you know that your sins are forgiving? And if you are a believer, and if you have been saved by this grace, you should then be thinking, how can I serve? How can I live a Christ-like life? Anyway, the, the, the interview board are encouraged by Timothy's testimony, they're encouraged by how he's come to faith, they're encouraged by the fact that he is a disciple, they can go on breathing a sigh of relief with, with confidence into the next stage and then they, they, they come and say, well tell us Timothy a bit more about your, your early years your upbringing tell us about your upbringing and so we see this in Acts 16, we, we read it we, we read here that his mother is Eunice and she's a Jew, and she's a disciple too. So she's not just a Jew, she's a Jew that's come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as her saviour. And then there's just a little bit in that passage that says, and his dad was a Greek. <clears throat> his dad was a Greek. It's a bit embarrassing. Mum was a Jew. Dad was a Greek. Grandmother, great. Thumbs up here. Lois and his mother... Uh, their faith, they were very open and they were a great influence to Timothy. We read of that in 2 Timothy 1, uh, 5. And we also know that Timothy could, could, could say, look, I've got some really good references. You, you always need to put some good referees, references on your CVs, don't you? Or you're covering letters. Uh, and in verse 2 of chapter 16 of Acts, it says, and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And so he has a good reference, a good mother, a good grandmother, a, a good reference, a good upbringing. 
and the uh, interview board, as, as they scrutinize the situation, they can clearly see that Timothy is not only a believer, but he has a sincere faith. In, in 2 Timothy uh, 1 and verse 5, it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? You see, we can have, we can be a believer. We can have a knowledge. But what we need is a sincere faith. And this is what Timothy had. He had a sincere faith. And just very, very practically, to to those of you that are mums and dads here, you, you have a huge role of importance with your children. You cannot save your child. But you can be a huge spiritual blessing to them. But what we also see here, and what also should be hugely encouraging, especially in this day and age when we live outside of the the scriptural norms of of past and and the the fact that everyone has a mum and dad, that's not always the case. And not everyone has a mum and dad who's a believer. And not everyone here is in a family of both husband and wife being believers. Or maybe the the husband or the, the wife is no longer around. And and the fact that you may be married to a non-believer, the fact that you may be a single-parent family, the fact that you might be bereaved, none of this disqualifies you from being a blessing to your children. In some ways, it could almost read how it does that the dad's gone AWOL here. He's just a Greek. But his mum and his grandmum have been a huge spiritual blessing to him. And so if you are in a family situation and you are the only believing parent, don't despair. Don't give up. Look back on on this and see this as your motivation. See this as your encouragement. Lois and Eunice were used of God to be of huge spiritual blessing to Timothy. And what else did that ignite? This letter and this sermon now. 2,000 years ago, Lois and Timothy faithfully bringing up their son or grandson. And 2,000 years on, it's been a blessing. Who knows what a blessing our children, your children may become in the future. But the interview board have come up with a problem. There's some good stuff here. His upbringing has been a great blessing, but there is a problem. Timothy was born into a mixed-race family. And then 2,000 years ago, with the Jewish-Greek thing going on there, this would be a problem. You see, the Jews would have looked on at Timothy and seen him as illegitimate. He was born illegitimately. His dad should never have ever married a a non-Jew. What was he doing doing that? Sorry, his mum should never have married a non-Jew. Forgive me, it's the wrong way around. But you get the picture. He wasn't pure-blooded to the Jews. And to to the Greeks, he wouldn't have been a pure Greek. He wasn't a pure Greek. He wasn't a pure Jew. Who was he? What was he? Socially for him, it would have been a disaster. He couldn't have swanned off to all the nice Jewish weddings and got involved in that. He probably would have been found it difficult to get a job within the Jewish regime because that's what he wasn't. 
you probably would have missed out. You've probably been a victim of abuse. Laughed at. And here the, the interviewers are thinking, what, what are we going to do? This is, this is a problem. This is a, this is a difficulty. It could be problematic. But the reality is this, is his messed up pedigree was perfect for God's mission. You see, what was needed here in this church is a bridge between the Jew and the Greek. And by the virtue of his upbringing, he knew both. His mum and his mother's side were Jews, and so he knew that stuff. And his dad's side, well, they were Greeks, and he knew that stuff. And so when he was in his church situation and he had Jews and Greeks fighting with each other, he knew it. He knew it inside out. He'd been in the middle of it. And you see, this is the beauty of it. There are no mistakes in the kingdom. He could think, who am I? I'm marginalized. I'm left out. I'm I'm, I'm just a nobody because I'm a half-caste. I'm halfway between two things. What does this really mean? And there are no lost opportunities in God's economy. And you see, friends, your past is not a mistake. You're from a broken marriage. Your parents were hyper-religious and strict. You're from a single-parent family. You were brought up as part of a mixed-race family. You were brought up on the wrong side of the tracks. You were emotionally, sexually, physically abused in your past. And yes, you were sinned against. But that is not what should define you. It's what is making you, you. And God has a plan for you. And even your your personal failures and your sin is not defined, is not what defines you. And when the devil comes and says to you, God can't have a plan for you, because you know those doubts that come into your mind. You know that because, don't you? You think, I could do that, I should be doing this, but I can't because. And what Timothy's experience here is showing and what God's word is saying to us, that's not true. It is not true. When the devil says, God can't have a plan for you because you are a mess and you are messed up, Timothy and Paul remind us that that's not true. See, Paul opens this letter to Timothy. And he refers to Timothy in verse chapter 1, verse 2. He calls him, my true child in the faith. Paul is a deeply Jewish man. Jewish of the Jews, as he says by his own description. Saved by grace for sure. And here he is talking to Timothy who is neither fully Jew, neither fully Greek and he's got that messed up heritage. And Paul says to him, my true child in faith. What an encouragement that was to Timothy to hear that. It's not about your pedigree. It's about what Christ has done for you. You see, Christian friend, your identity is not what society labels you, and boy, are they finding lots of new labels these days. But it's not about those labels. 
It's not about what your past is. It's about who you are in Christ. You see, Christian friend, this morning in many ways, you could take the my and just scribble it out and put your name in. True child in the faith. And so his upbringing could be problematic. Let's go on to his maturity. The interview board want to find out about his maturity. So they look on him, and he looked a bit young. Now, now Timothy was considered a youth by that culture. He was in his mid-30s. Now, I think that's quite youthful. I think 40s is quite youthful. I'm now thinking that 50s is quite youthful. But uh, nonetheless, he was seen in that culture, in that day and age, as being youthful. And most spiritual leaders had to be elders, and elders had to have big, long beards, and elders had to be older, and and so it looks like he shouldn't get the job because he hasn't got that gravitas, he hasn't got that maturity, he hasn't got that age. But Paul tells him in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy could have been tempted to use this as an excuse. I I, I can't do this act of service because I am too young. I can't go and be a pastor of this church there in in Ephesus because I'm, I'm I'm too young, I'm too unexperienced. And similarly, his youth brought about some particular challenges. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22, Paul's encouraging this, says, flee from youthful passions. Flee from youthful passions. Timothy is just like you. He had temptations. And and just like his age did not disqualify him, nor did temptations. What was important is what he did with them. And he had to flee from these youthful passions and these temptations. You see, in God's kingdom, age is not important. In God's kingdom, the fact that we can be tempted is not the defining thing. What's important is what you do about it. And so to extend this a bit further, you're sat here this morning... And I want to ask you, are you making excuses of why you shouldn't be serving? Is there something that the church is calling you to? Is there something that your heart and the spirit is calling you to? But you're making excuses. I am too young. I am too old. So and so will be much better at doing it than me. Or maybe worse still, you're making excuses of why you're not growing spiritually. When I have more time, when when the children are out of the way, holidays are always difficult. Quiet times are sort of difficult. I'll I'll get back to when I get back into my routine. You see, these things aren't excuses. They're to be overcome by God's grace. But are are you letting sin get in the way of your serving God? Timothy was told very clearly there to flee youthful lusts. Youthful lusts is sin. 
What, what sin should you be fleeing from? Not running to, fleeing from. And so as we see his maturity, the old boys around the table on the board of interviewers would probably be shaking their heads and thinking, no, this guy Timothy is far too young. The interview board had done their research. They'd found out that, that Timothy had uh, tendencies to be timid and fearful. It seems like there were some sort of areas of anxiety in his life, maybe mental health problems. And so they start probing in that direction, asking questions in that direction. And, and the reason I say this is because when we look through the God's Word, we see that the Apostle Paul is really very protective of Timothy. And, and it sort of gives us an idea that Paul sees his potential, but he also knows that this guy is fragile. This guy has challenges. When he went to uh, the Corinthians, Paul actually tells the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16 and verse 10, he tells them to go steady on him. What a letter of commendation being sent by the, the senior pastor. Here, here is the young, the young helper coming on, but just, just go easy on him. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease before he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way. And then, Timothy was given advice and encouragement from Paul in 2 Timothy 1.7. When Paul is encouraging this timid young man and saying to him, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And as we go through and see a bit more of Timothy and, and, and learn about him, we realize that he, he isn't this robust person like possibly the Apostle Paul was. And, and there was a frailty there. And, and there was this ability to, to be fearful. And, and there was, he wasn't like this super apostle that went in and was full of charisma and noise. It just He's very different. And he's fragile. And you can imagine the, the interview board looking around at each other and thinking to themselves, do we want to take on this liability? If he goes and sees these Ephesians, and, and we, we know what they're like, and, well, how is he going to stand up to the, the, the false teaching? How is he going to be direct? He just doesn't look like he's going to say boo to a goose. He, he's, he, he has this spirit of fear which is not given to him from God, but he needs to overcome it with power and love and self-control. You see, friends... The board could have judged by human perspective. But his frailty did not disqualify him. You see, God used this, and I'm sure God used his weakness, and he was made strong. I have an apology to make. I messed up with the readings. You probably thought to yourselves, I didn't quite get why... 2 Corinthians 13 was read. It was read because God obviously wants it to be read. It told us about Christ's weakness and the weakness of the cross. But what I was actually heading for was 12, Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in weakness. When the Apostle Paul was feeling messed up, when the Apostle Paul was having problems, when the Apostle Paul was having challenges, he knew that God's grace, as God said, was sufficient for him. God's power will be made perfect in the weakness. And then the Apostle Paul said, then therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, friend, today if you are struggling with the stress that life throws at you, if your relationships around about you are crumbling, if there is anxiety, if there is depression, if you are under that dark cloud in life, none of these things disqualify you from being a Christian. None of these things disqualify you for doing great things through Christ. Job, Jeremiah, Elijah, David, Timothy, Paul, the list goes on. And in modern day church you can see around you many people who suffered in these ways. And yet God has used them mightily. In fact, these dark times are often the times that God ultimately uses to draw you deeper into the kingdom. And to use you as an example that brings God the glory. When the world looks on and says, how do you cope in that situation? And you just say, I don't know, but Christ has strengthened me. And all the glory goes to God. You see, the kingdom is not about superheroes. And the world has got it wrong. And so often the modern day church has got it wrong. It's because we're after celebrities. We don't need celebrities. We don't need superheroes. God uses broken people. Messed up people. Hurting people. Mentally distressed people. All types of people. To do super things. Things beyond their capability. Things that bring glory to God's name. You see, humanly speaking, his mental health challenges, his anxiety and frailty would probably mean he wouldn't get the job. And the interview board have not stopped. They've heard a whisper that Timothy has some health problems. That could be a problem. A few years back I was in Nigeria and I've never had a prayer prayed for me like this before and never since. But I was being passed on from one host to another and, and, and the host that was passing me on to the next one, he prayed for my stomach. You don't want a weak stomach in Nigeria. And nor did you want a weak stomach when you were traveling 2,000 years ago in the Near East. And Timothy had a weak stomach. 1 Timothy uh, 5, verse 23, Paul's giving him advice. He says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. He had a stomach problem. He had frequent ailments and the job was to be this pastor in Ephesus where there would be stress where there would be travelling where there would be all manner of challenges and you can imagine the interview board thinking hmm, 
how many days of sick pay, oh, we're not paying him sick pay because he's got to work for himself, but you get the idea. How much time is he going to have off? How is he going to be of any benefit in this situation? How is he going to make it work through? And I think that they'd have put a pretty hefty cross there too. His general health is not good. And all in all, as they conclude this meeting and they look at it from a human perspective, they probably just had a stamp, if they did have a stamp, and stamp, unsuccessful. Stamp, unsuitable. Stamp, unprobable. Who would choose Timothy to do that role? Friends, God did. This is it. This is the thing. And you see, what we see here is God's servants and these greats in God's word. And Timothy particularly has been looking to him. They are not superheroes. They get ill. They're very human. And and God uses the very human people to be the church and to serve in the church. And yes, friends, your health may disqualify you from being an astronaut. You may not be able to be a police officer, but your health will never disqualify you from a role within the kingdom. And you see, your health changes over a period of time. But you're not going to get discharged early for health reasons. You're not going to get pensioned off because you can't do what you used to do. Your role then changes. And, and as brethren get older, as our brothers and sisters here get older, they find that. They used to do the running around. They used to take up the baptistry and move the pews out. They used to be involved in all the chapel teas and preparing that. They used to run around looking at And they can't do that anymore. Does that mean they've lost it? Does that mean they're useless? No! Their role has changed. They're praying. They're mentoring. They are doing different things. The role changes. But it keeps on going. Because these things do not disqualify us from the kingdom work. You see, we probably wouldn't have given the job to Timothy. If, if you were looking for another candidate to, to go on a mission exercise somewhere in Africa, and you saw that he got a weak stomach, and you saw that he had anxiety issues, and you saw this and that and the other, the elders would be sat around, and what would they be thinking? And what would you be thinking? And the wonder is this, that God gave him the job and God equipped him to do it. You see, friends, it may be that right now as a Christian you feel that you are unqualified. You may feel that you are unprepared. You may feel that you are unsuited. But just as Timothy was hired, I use that word loosely, you have been hired. You've been bought by a price. You've been brought into the kingdom for a time like this. You've been brought to do a work. I like Timothy because I see so much myself in him. And I'm sure that you, in a similar way, like Timothy because you can relate to him. You can relate to his illnesses. You can relate to his challenges. You can relate to his frailties. And then you see his usefulness in the kingdom. And it gives us hope that in our frailties and in our weaknesses, we can be used to God's glory. 
and will be used to God's glory. And God is not wanting a perfect finished article, but he's wanting to take you, the mess that you are, and save you by grace and use you to his glory. Despite frailties, spiritually or mentally and physically, God has saved us and he will enable us, you and me, to serve him. And so as I bring this together, Paul encouraged Timothy and I would like to encourage you too. We can see ourselves as being unqualified, unprepared, and uninitiated. But then Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, my true child in the face, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus. And if you are a Christian now, you can encourage yourself because effectively your name is there. You are a true child in the faith. And that same grace and that same mercy and that same peace that upheld Timothy and enabled him to do what he did is the same grace and the same mercy and the same peace that will enable you. Because you, through Christ, are a true child in the faith. And so, you're hired and you have a job to do. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would be with us now and help us to take on board what we've heard from your word. Where we need encouraging, may we be encouraged. Where we need uplifting, may we be uplifted. And for any who do not know you as their Lord and Saviour and in many ways are feeling left out, may they be brought into your kingdom. Be it by an amazing way like the Apostle Paul or possibly just a much simpler way like Timothy. We ask that you would work in power and might. We thank you, Lord God, that no matter how broken, how failed, how messed up we are, we can look to you through your grace and through your mercy and through your peace to use us to the furtherance of your kingdom. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like us to close in response to to our final hymn. My worth is not in what I own. And and you'll see as we go through the verses here, it doesn't just talk about what we own, but it also talks about what we have and what we have to offer. And our value is not there, but it's in Christ. Thank you.
Almighty God, may we go in your peace. May we go knowing your grace. May we go in knowing our value is in Christ alone and given to us through his work on the cross. Be with us now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen.